the family of God for one another. So I'm coming with this big pastoral concern, and as I was reading it, I was realizing, you know what? It's exactly what the author of this book was concerned about too. He was concerned about the new family of Jesus. Not They had knowledge about who God was and what Jesus did, but they didn't have understanding or wisdom about how to live it out. And so that's what we've been trying to do with this book and as we read it and study it together. It's like, okay, I understand now what Jesus did. I understand that he's bringing two kingdoms, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I want to review it. And then it changes how I live. And one of the ways in which it changes how we live comes to this text today in Ephesians chapter 5. It's about how we get along, how we treat each other here in the new family of Jesus. So let's, like I said, this is a little bit messy. What I want to do is I want to review the two worlds, the two kingdoms idea, so that if you haven't heard it before, you're hearing it again, where we're at now, and then I'm going to read the text, and we'll go from there, okay? So let's look at this real quick. Here it comes. So in Paul's understanding, there are two worlds. Like before, before Jesus, there was only one, and it was this world, the empire of the world, the kingdom of the world. The, the Greek, actually, he uses the word empire because he's relating to the Roman empire. But this is the empire of the world. And in that world, there's death and sin, right? People die, and people are broken. People mess up all the time, right? Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes we get stuck in addictions which is going to come down here a little bit, but there is evil in the world, and we can't deny it, right? I mean, even atheists, people that don't believe that there is a God, they don't deny that evil exists in the world. You, you look at Hitler, and you go, oh, yeah, there's evil. You look at genocide, there's evil. There's evil in the world. There's darkness. People are, just can't understand one another. They can't understand how to get along. They can't understand things beyond here. There is slavery. We get caught up in addictions, but we also get caught up in actually enslaved. We get both. There are lies. There's division, and there's hatred. But over here, God has this new empire, this new kingdom He is bringing into the world, and this Jesus brought it to us. And in this new kingdom comes life, right? The opposite of sin and death is life, and it's everlasting life. We have life now, and we have life eternal. There is goodness. When there's evil in the world, we look. If you just look around, like uh, Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers. When it's dark and when it's painful and when bad things are happening, look around for the helpers, because that's where you start to see goodness is still here in the midst of all the hard. There is light. You moved from darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light. There is freedom. You were enslaved. You were caught up in these uh, powerful forces that hold you back, that break you, that break your relationships, but now you are set free and you can walk in a different way and live differently. You, were, you used to be caught up in lies, but now you can speak the truth in love about yourself, about others, and about the world. You used to be divided from one another, but now there is unity because you've been made into a new family. It used to be that you hated people, but now you can look at the people that were your enemies with compassion and kindness. So this is the kingdom that God is bringing in, and all these things are available to us now. They are merging and coming together. And this is kind of what it looks like, this next slide. This is this big circle. We live in between the two, right? We're not. We don't live over, I'm trying to make sure I'm stepping on the right side. We don't live over here in this list. Because I don't know about you, but even though I have goodness in my life, right now I know of a lot of situations where evil is happening, and it's painful. Even though I live over here where I am free, there are times where I found that, find that the thoughts that come into my mind 
are more about the more slavery type thoughts, right? I'm more enslaved to the depressive thoughts. I'm more enslaved to the negative thoughts than I am in living over here in the positive life of truth. Over even though I'm, I'm here and, and I'm rescued and saved, I experience compassion for my enemies, but very often what seems to be coming out of my gut is hatred, right? So we live in this middle space, the now and not yet. It's happening now, but it's not fully yet. We're, we're living with a foot in both worlds. This is us, right? A foot in two worlds. And Paul says, what you are is you are living a life that is being influenced by the Holy Spirit. As a follower of Christ, your life is being influenced by the Holy Spirit. And it's going to change how you think. It's going to change how you live. It's going to change slowly, subtly, over time, how you live. That is the construction that Paul has been using. And he, uh, he, he gave us some really practical steps, and that's what we're going to come to. Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to open your Bibles there. We're going to start in verse 15, actually, back up into what we talked about last week a little bit, and this is a long passage, so don't fall asleep, okay? Here we go. Paul says this, because of this two-list system, because these two worlds exist, because you have a foot in both worlds, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, right? It's out of control. It's not debauchery. It just sounds so terrible. It's out of control. But be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs amongst yourself, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, here's where it gets touchy. Ready? Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the, the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order to make her holy, by cleansing her with the washing of water and by the word, so as to present the church to himself in the splendor without spot or wrinkle, or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their, their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Children, you're in this too, kids. Children, obey your parents. We should just leave it right there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise so that you, it may be well with you, and you may live long on earth. I think that that's code for, so they don't kill you, obey them. Okay, and now back to dads here. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, another hot topic that's been abused. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, 
in singleness of heart as you obey Christ, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord. And whatever good we do, whoops, sorry, service as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. And masters, do the same to them. Stop threatening them, for you know that both both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. Long passage, and you're like, okay, there's some things in there that tweak with us. There's some things in there that definitely been used, especially this last part about slaves, right? In the South, they actually use this to promote slavery. He said, slaves, obey your masters. Not only is slavery okay with God, but you need to obey, and you need to do it with fear and trembling. Uh, this whole headship thing, that the head the husband is the head of the wife, we've, been, we've used that in the church to, to say that wives have to do anything that the husband tells them to do, and a husband can do anything he wants to his wife because it, she is his body, and he can do whatever he wants with his body. These are all misuses and abuses of this text, and let me tell you why. Because if we read it like that, then we read it no differently than a first century Roman would have read it and seen the world, and how the world should work. I wanted to point out to you um, this, some text from Aristotle. Now, as I got into this, I started thinking, like, this is a chance for me to really nerd out, right? This is really exciting, because how often do I get to quote Aristotle? And you guys right now are just so impressed because I even said Aristotle, and you think I'm super smart. I got every bit of this knowledge from somebody else named Tim Mackey. He's really smart, and he's, a, he's got a PhD, and he pulled all this stuff together. And as I was reading it, I was blown away, and it was new information for me, and it changed how I read this text. So I'm bringing it to you. Yes, I'm smart, but I'm not as smart as other people. So... What, what this is that I'm bringing you from Aristotle is actually called a household code, which is the same thing that is here in this text. In Rome, in the first century, scholars and wise thinkers would write down things and say, look, this is how men should manage their households. This is the way that things work in the empire. And this is what he had to say. Aristotle, this is from Politics, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Seeing that the state is made up of households, before speaking of the state, we must speak of the management of the household. The parts of the household management correspond to the persons who's, who compose the household, and a complete household consists of slaves and freemen. Now we should begin by examining everything in the fewest possible elements. And the first and fewest possible parts of the family are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. Does this sound familiar to you? So Paul is taking a, ripping a page from the playbook of Aristotle. Aristotle says, look, this is, this is the basic way houses work. Masters and slaves, father and children, husbands and wives. And then he goes on to talk about what it should look like in a Roman household. And I'm trying to find where that is because I've lost my spot. Where is it? Where is it? Okay, it's the next slide. I believe, right here. Here's what he had to say about how Roman citizens should run their house. A husband and father, we saw, rules over wife and children, both free. I'm going to look around here so I can read a little better. But the rule differs. The rule over his children being royal. Okay, so when it comes to kids, dad is king. 
And you obey the king in all things, right? That's what, this is what Aristotle says. And the rule over the wife, hold on women, is based on natural constitution. <laughs> For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature. See, what was that? <laughs> I wish Meg was here. Oh, yeah. Although there may be exceptions to this order of nature, the male is by nature fitter for command than the female, just as the elder and the full-grown is superior to the younger and the more immature. Praise Jesus, right? <laughs> Praise Jesus. So this is how Aristotle saw the world. You had the emperor, you had the rulers ascended underneath the emperor, and then you had the cities underneath that, and within the cities you had the freemen, and they commanded their families all the way down. And that is how they kept order in the empire. And Paul is looking at how the world is done and realizing we've got people with feet in both worlds. He says, that may be the way the world is working outside, but inside this new kingdom, inside this new family, things are going to look a little different because of Jesus. Because Jesus, who was in every way God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself a servant. And he came down and took the form of a man and took the form of a servant, and he served us human beings until he served us all the way to the cross and gave his life for us as a sacrifice. And Paul says things are different here in the church. Now, when we talk about headship, the word that comes to our mind is authority, right? We think about authority, we think about power, we think about, we, those are the kind of words we come about who's in charge in the household. But when Paul is talking about headship, the word he actually uses is source. He says the source of, of, of life, the source of, of empowerment, the source of finances in this Roman world, it comes through the male. And so men, be a source for your family like Jesus is a source. See, they kind of understood a little bit about the brain at this point. They understood that our thinking enabled our body to do things. We think about moving our fingers, and it moved. We think about moving our toes, and they move. They don't understand is that we don't think about our heart beating, and we don't think about our lungs, you know, necessarily. They just kind of do their own thing. The head is absolutely necessary for the body. The body can't survive without it. It says, in the Roman world, the body cannot survive without the head any more than the church can survive without Jesus. But also, the head cannot survive without the body. So treat your family like you treat your own body. He comes and he says, in the Roman world, men are rulers. Men are better than women. Men rule their children as kings. But here in the church, things are different. Husbands love their wives like Christ loves the church. He takes wives and elevates them. In, in the Aristotle codes... He doesn't mention wives, what they should do. First thing Paul does, says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Wives, be a part of this relationship in such a way that, that you're not just obeying, but you're bringing goodness to his life. You're lifting him up. Husbands, you're bringing yourself down. You're not ruling from on high and telling her what to do and did you get the dishes done and better make sure there's dinner on the table. You're coming in and you're saying, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? You're coming in and loving your wife like your own body. Paul flattens the social dimensions of the Roman Empire and it was considered absolutely scandalous. To children, he doesn't just say, obey your parents. As a king, 
But he does say, you know what, this is Old Testament stuff. Starts with the Ten Commandments. Children, you need to obey. You know, do, do right by your parents so you don't get killed. But then he says to parents, to the dads especially, look, dads, don't exasperate your children, but love them. Actually have a relationship with your children. It's not done in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, you treat your kids like a king does his subjects. The slaves raise up the children in the Roman Empire. But here, Paul says, no, dads, have a relationship with your children and love them and treat them well. Slaves in the Roman Empire, masters are up here, slaves are down here. And this is what's crazy, is like in the new kingdom of God, when you step into that new place and you got a foot over here, suddenly the slave is free in Christ. Suddenly the slave is a child of God, just as you are. You have the same master, and he flattens it again. Over and over, he says, no, every social hierarchy that you have, you think men are better than women, they're not, they're equal. You think that parents are better than children, they're not, they're equal. You think slaves are better than masters, or masters are better than slaves, they're not, they're equal, we flatten this. In a church, in a facility, not a, sorry, not a facility, in a family that is being influenced by the Holy Spirit, three things show up, and it's not just three things, but these three things do. They worship, and they praise, and they sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. They constantly give thanks to God for every good gift and in every circumstance. And the third thing is they submit to one another. This is how you would outline this passage. But we break it up because we put submission over here as this special thing. It's this authority thing. But Paul's not talking about it. In fact, this was his chance. If he wanted to talk about authority, if he wanted to talk about ruling in the church, this was his chance, but he didn't. Instead, he said, no, in a church that's actually being influenced by the Spirit, a person is being influenced by the Spirit, you're going to treat those around you very differently. It's going to look really different in the church, and it's going to make people very uncomfortable. I wanted to read to you this section from this book, and Kathleen loaned it to me the other day. I, okay, I highly recommend this book if you like Bible stuff at all. It's called Letters, The Lost Letters of Pergamum, and what it is is a story. It's, it's, a, it's a fictional story, again, written by a Bible scholar who studied first century Rome and understands how all this stuff worked there. And it's letters between a guy who is not a Christian, who is a, just a Roman citizen, and the guy who wrote the book of Luke, who, oddly, his name is Luke. And so they write these letters back and forth, and this guy who's this Roman citizen, he, he's, Luke says, hey, why don't you go visit a church? Go see what it's like when you go to church. And so he does, and this is what he says about it. He says, having met Antonius, who's another Christian, in the street earlier this week, I was invited by him to return to the gathering of Christians who is at his house as a base for their weekly meetings. Joining them for the third time, I was again struck by their lack of concern for social codes of honor and shame. Antonius was recognized by all as the patron of the meeting, but he wasn't treated with the respect ordinarily reserved for that one position. Or perhaps it's better to say that all the people gathered there were treated with the respect ordinarily reserved for noblemen, such as Antonius, a man adorned with every virtue. There was no effort to organize the positions at the meal according to the social hierarchy, and no differences were evident of the kind. At one point, I even noticed that Antonius and, and Mania, that's the husband and wife in this house, delivered platters of fruit and fish to a group composed of vocal, local artisans, that's like construction workers, and their own household servants. 
I gather that such is not their regular practice throughout the week, for the servants do function as servants normally. They live in two worlds. But when they gather as Christians, patterns of behavior are intentionally changed to reflect the fact that members of this group belong to a new order of society, or as they call it, the empire of God. I felt, let's see, sorry, last one. Since I was treated not as a guest this week, but as a regular attendee, I felt the expectation to take my turn in serving others, something I have never done before. This was not as humiliating as I would have imagined, most likely because all the others were doing it as well, even Antonius. So this is an example of what, in the first century, how awkward this passage would have been to somebody who wasn't a Christian. They would have expected at a dinner that the guy who owns the house is being served first, not doing the serving. They would have expected that children would have been gone, but children were present. They would have expected slaves to be uh, anonymous and disappeared, but they were sitting at a table, and the owner of the house was serving them. You see how this is all upside down and how awkward it is for them? It's no different than us today, though, because we live in a world that says those with power, those with wealth, those with white skin particularly, have certain authorities and certain um, agency in the world that others don't have, and we operate out of it, and this is how we end up with Karens, right? When people feel like their authority, their power, their wealth, or whatever has been slighted, they get angry and they blow up. We look at our divisions and we see how we're different, how we think different, how we uh, live different. We have different social economic standards. I live in a mobile home. You live in a mansion. I make, you know, this much money a month. You make that much money a month. You're so much better than me. And we have this hierarchy in the world. It looks different than first century Rome, but we have it. And we point the finger at one another. We get angry at the injustice. We treat each other hatefully and shamefully in this world. And I think if Paul was here today writing this book to the, a letter to the Pulmonians or the Pulmonites, I've lived here for 15 years, I still don't know what we are. Pulmania? I don't know. Whatever we are, if he was writing a letter to us, he would, he would say, hey, hold on a second. You live in two worlds. Out there, it's like this. You've got Karens. In here? No, no, no. We're not going there. Out there, you've got women who have to fight for positions of power. You have, to have, you have to look more like a man to be president than a woman. Out there, you've got racial division and hatred. Over here, in here, mm-mm. Women, you can be pastors. You can be, you can be whatever you want. You can be president in, in this church, in this kingdom, in this new rule that God has, has leveled everything out. As children of God, you have all the agency. The future of the church is women and children, by the way, men. I feel very strongly about that. The future of the church is women and children. Out there in the world, there's racial divisions in here. You eat at the same table. You share the same cup, the same food. Thank God we're no longer in the days of separate water fountains, right? But, man, we have so far to go. So far to go. Here in the church, it looks different. As followers of Jesus, married single, young, old, Republican, Democrat, male or female, here in the new family of Jesus, we treat each other with dignity, with love and respect. The same dignity, love and respect that God has treated us. Paul isn't saying, and as we started, as toward the beginning of this, I insist. 
Paul insists we got to be different because we are influenced by the Holy Spirit, not by the world that is outside our doors. We live in a new culture, a new kingdom. When they see us out there with our kids, they should look in and be surprised at just how much we love them. When they see us with our employees in the business spaces, they should look and say, man, those employees are so well taken care of. They are treated so well. And look, when they see each other out on the streets, look at how they, they treat each other as friends. When they see people, like see us Christians in line at the grocery store and the line is long and it's got people with like, 50 items in the two, 10 item or left, less item thing, you know, they're not blowing up and angry, but they're patient and they're kind. And they're even letting others maybe come out in front of them because they have time. And it opens up a conversation. When you get pulled over for speeding, because speeding happens, the cops should find you respectful, open, caring about them and their work rather than, why did you pull me over? You're wrong. I wasn't going, you know, and, and fighting and arguing. I'm not saying roll over, play dead, there's injustice. But there should be a difference in us. When people irritate you, when they push your buttons, instead of angry and volatile and hateful, they should find you honest, unwilling to be abused, but forgiving and wanting their best, not moving to power. Don't be a Karen. So as I processed all of these pieces, I kept thinking, what in the world does it mean for us today? What does it look like? Mutual submission, college students, elementary students, middle school students, high school students, parents, elderly people, what does mutual submission look like in this space? And I don't know that I have all the answers because it's for you to work out. It's for you to walk out. It's for you to love your spouse like Christ loves the church. It's for you to respect and treat each other well as children of God, not just as husband and wife, not just as father and son or father and daughter. It's for you to figure out how to walk out this new family of Jesus in this world here and now. And so where I want to end my talk is with this question for you just to ponder for a minute. What might mutual submission look like for you today? What might that, what are the implications for you in your home and here in this church as we walk out the doors together? What does mutual submission look like for you? We're going to sit with that just for like a full minute or so. This is awkward. This is the part where we get quiet. I really want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want you to ponder and think. What does it mean for you in your college classes, in your dorm rooms, in your frat houses, in your business places? in your kitchens, what would it look like for you to not just submit, but to see each other as equal and to love each other as the children of God and the new family of Jesus? Let's just leave it with that for a full minute.
God is following, calling his followers to live a life, to live a lifestyle that is at odds with normal expectations. When we're in good thing places and good times, when things are easy, we live with a certain oddness about us. When things are hard, which for many of us it is right now, there's another oddness about us because there's a grace. There's the beginnings of a peace that we hold on to, a faith that we are grasping at in the midst of those hard times, knowing that God is with us. The Holy Spirit is present, even when we can't feel or hear or see God. But at all times, we're walking in such a way that we are loving each other well to the best of our abilities. We're not taking advantage of the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of others, but we're lifting one another up. And that's my invitation to you this morning. It's not a traditional sermon. It's not even very normal. It's kind of odd. It's academic. But I hope it gave you pause for a minute just to kind of think about, ah, man, is the church all that different? Am I all that different? And invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you this week. Like, how can I walk different? Not just for the sake of being an oddball, but because I am a child of God and because everybody I meet is beloved of Jesus. And I live from God's yes. I live from his smile. How can I walk differently in this world? I'm going to close with, with prayer. Um, I'm just going to pray real fast over you guys. And we're going to sing the doxology. That's what we do. It's how we close our services. Um, and then you're going to be dismissed to go. And, and I just want to... Felt compelled to say this as well. If you got stuff going on in your life and you just need some prayer today, uh, we want to be available for that. Um, and I'm hoping that Heidi and Janice will help me out with this too and not just me. But if you need prayer or want prayer, we want to be available. So we'll just kind of be hanging down here and you can come and receive some prayer today. We want to be here for that for you. Um, so would you stand with me? So we sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And whatever place we're in, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we know that God is good always, and he is blessing us. It just may not look like it. So let's sing this song as an act of faith and remembering that he is here and he is with us and all creation is worshiping him. Ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go in His grace today. He loves you very, very much if you heard nothing else. And we love you too. We are here for you. We'll see you guys next week. Go to the potluck, Krugel Park, in the next 10 minutes. Bring food. And if you don't have food, we've got food for you. Join us there. We'll see you there.